0: You notice I let them do all the heavy lifting. <clears throat> we we're singing you can have it all, Lord. I was thinking, we really are not our own anyhow. He bought us with a price. And someone said that consecration is just returning stolen property. <laughs> and so when we give it all to him, he owns it anyhow. Aren't you glad to give it back to him? Amen. I am. We are in revival. Ken and Joyce has moved within three pews of the altar. (laughs) Revival has come, I'll tell you. Now I'll have to face that after it's all over. (laughs) If you have your Bibles, I've asked them just to put the uh, chapter on the screen. I'm going to deal with far too much. To just limit a few verses. So, if you have your Bibles, I would like for you to open with me to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 12. And before I read the portion of Scripture, I want to just lay out what's taking place in this chapter and what Jesus is doing. Uh, These will be the words of Christ when I read them. If you note right at the beginning of this chapter, he is speaking, though multitudes were crowding him, he was speaking. To the disciples and if I might just quickly run down through here he warned them about being aware of the leaven of the Pharisees which is hypocrisy he tells them in verse four he said don't you worry about those be afraid of them that kill the body and after can do no more he says I warn you whom ye shall fear fear him that after he's killed has power to cast into hell that's the one you fear He goes on to tell them that the very hairs of their head are numbered. Don't worry about being cared for. God takes care of the sparrows, and you're much more important to him than the sparrows. He tells them that those who will confess him, who refuse to confess him before men, he will refuse to confess them before the angels of God. He warns them and cautions them about blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. He said, It shall not be forgiven you. And then he says, when you're brought before the magistrates and all those that's going to interrogate you, don't worry about what you should say. He simply says, the Holy Spirit will teach you in that hour what you ought to say. Now, in verse 13, an interesting thing happens. And by the way, every pastor, preacher has to endure this. After he got through giving this tremendous discourse a man walked up to him and said, Master, speak to my brother that he divide the inheritance with me. That man's heart was not in the word. His heart was in the world. He heard nothing that Jesus said. That gave me great comfort because I've had that same experience time and again. (laughs) And he said to the man, Man, who made me a judge or divider over you? And he said unto them, Take heed, beware of covetousness, for a man's life consisteth not in the abundance of the things which he possesses. And then he spoke this parable unto them, saying, The ground of a certain rich man brought forth plentifully. And he thought within himself, saying, What shall I do? Because I have no room where to bestow my fruits. And he said, This will I do. I will pull down my barns, build greater, and there will I bestow my fruits and my goods, And I will say to my soul, Soul, thou hast much goods laid up for many years. Take thine ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, Thou fool, this night thy soul shall be required of thee. And then who shall those things be which thou hast provided? So is he that layeth up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Do you stand with me briefly? Our Father, we realize tonight that we're on a journey and we are moving very rapidly to the moment when we shall be confronted with the Holy One of Israel. We will meet you face to face. We want to know in this few moments we have this side of heaven that you are pleased with our lives. As we recall when You were being baptized at the River Jordan at the hand of John the Baptist. The father spoke, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. You love the sinner with pity, but you want to love your children with pleasure. And we want to be a pleasure to you. So Lord, we want to walk in your light. We want to know more today than we knew yesterday And we want to draw closer to you than ever before. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Might I just divert a moment? I appreciate so much these men back here in the little sound area. I don't have to do anything. They just allow me to put this thing on. And when I walk up, it's ready. Let me tell you as a speaker that is a wonderful thing i have stood up a lot of times and preached half my message before anybody heard me but i'm just glad (laughs) for these back here that take care of the sound system thank you i just feel like i'd be remiss if i didn't say that to you i just mentioned to you that jesus had uh, just delivered this discourse and this man made this statement by the way I will not have time, but it's interesting. If you'd read the first 40 verses of this chapter, and I'm just giving you some homework. If you read the first 40 verses of this chapter, Jesus presents in a very graphic contrast between the foolish farmer and the fearless flock. Uh, I'd much rather deal with a fearless flock as you read over in verse 32, where he says, "Or, or uh, fear, uh, fear not, little flock, for your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. And then he goes on to tell him how God takes care of everything, he'll take care of you. I'm not dealing with a fearless flock. I want to talk to you about this foolish farmer. I'm talking to you because Jesus puts it first. And this man <clears throat> asked him to speak to his brother that he divided his inheritance with you. You know, I I might just as well tell you, I was in a meeting one time, and I'll never forget, after the meeting was over, I was watching two men in the congregation. They sat just almost elbow to elbow, and it happened to be a sanctuary where the windows were clear grass. It was Sunday morning. You could see outside, and I noticed all through the service, one man sat looking out the window. The other man sat very engrossed and very attentive to all that was taking place in the service. And after it was over, I noticed the one man who was very open to what was taking place came down to an altar, and for the first time, he found Christ as his Savior. The other man, looking out the window, just seemingly got up and sort of sauntered out the door, and I was intrigued by that man. And so I sort of went after him to find out what in the world was he thinking. And I didn't find him until I went outside, and there he was in the parking lot, and I just wanted to go up and greet him, just see what his What was on his mind? What he would say? As I shook hands with him, he looked up in the sky. He said, well, preacher, if it don't rain tomorrow, I'm going to vaccinate my hogs. (laughs) I walked away and said he had hogs in his heart. Let me tell you something, folks. When we come to the house of God, this is a very serious time that we spend. Do not be negligent when you come to worship God. I think it almost borders blasphemy, but that's just me. Jesus doesn't think that of you. I'm just telling you what I think. And this man looked at the master, having listened to all that he said, totally discard the discourse and said master speak to my brother that he divided his inheritance now, i don't know what was going on here maybe this man was the younger of two sons and if you remember over in the book of deuteronomy about the 21st chapter when the inheritance was meted out the elder brother got a double portion and maybe that didn't set well with this younger son and so he was asking jesus sort of to be the arbiter of this thing and ask his brother to give him a share of that inheritance and jesus simply looked at him and said man who made me a judge or divider over you? And then he gave this parable. Let me just sort of preface it by saying, He who lives in the deception of sin will die in the darkness of the soul unless he finds the Lord of light. First of all, I want you to notice the fearful covetousness. Jesus looks at them in this parable and he says, Take heed. And beware of covetousness. <clears throat> do you know that that word covetousness" is the sin of idolatry? In fact, it is literally worshiping at the shrine of things. And it has a very dreadful history. Do you know it is the most fatal of all sins? And do you know the Word of God mentions that one sin more than any other sin in the Bible? And do you know, I seldom hear it preached on, including me. But I have to preach on it because God was bringing this to my attention. If one never broke the 10th commandment, which is what that is, thou shalt not covet, you would never need to lock your doors. Jail houses would be turned into gymnasiums. Courthouses would be turned into community halls. There'd be no more disputes between labor and management. There'd be no more wars. They would cease if that one sin was not committed. In fact, if you want to know how ugly the history is, it was that one sin that was back of Lucifer's fall, that one sin made a devil out of an archangel. Because Isaiah said of him, "I want to be like the most high God. He coveted God's place." If you remember it was the sin in the garden of Eden, that coveted the tree. She saw the tree I mentioned last evening to be desired, to make one wise, to become as God. It was because of the sin of covetousness. In fact, Achan, you remember, committed this sin and he stole the Babylonian garment with all the silver and gold and hid it in his tent And as a result, he was uncovered by the Spirit of God It caused him to lose not only his life, his sons, his daughters, his family, his animals, and they were all buried under the ground. It was the same sin that caused Lot to choose the most fertile plain and gave Abraham a less than fertile plain. And Lot then pitched his tent towards Sodom and lost his family. It's this sin that caused Ananias and Sapphira who had pledged so much to the kingdom and when it was time to yield or pay the pledge, they kept back part of it and they both dropped dead on the spot. The sin of covetousness. I could stand here and spend the rest of my time showing you the ugliness of this sin, but I want you to note it closes the mind and shuts out the light of truth and consequently, man's question prompted Jesus to give the parable of the foolish farmer who was committing this sin. Now, there are some who would tell you this farmer is in the middle stage of a, another personage. If you remember, there was a young man came running to Jesus one time and asked him the question, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus told him, go sell what you have, give to the poor, pick up, deny yourself, pick up your cross and follow me. And said, the young man who turned and walked sorrowfully away. We now see this stage of that man, if it is the same man, and there are some that presume that he is, he became a very rich farmer and very into himself. And finally, if you want to know the close of the scenario, go to Luke 16, where it said the rich man lifted up his eyes in torments. I'm not sure, but I think it well could be the same man. But there are tremendous parallels in the lives of these three characters, a fearful covetousness. He cautions us, take heed and beware of covetousness. I want you to note, secondly, though, a, false, a, a, a covetous heart will give to us a false conception because he went on to say, a man's life consisteth not in the things that he possesses. I wish we could understand that today. You know, I, I've thought about this man. If this man lived in our modern age, he would have the front seat of any, any program or any theater, if you please. He would have all the accolades. He would certainly be admired by a great host of people for his ambition and all of his success. He would be sought after, no doubt, to be on the various boards, the school board. He would be asked to be on the loan company's board, or he would be asked to be favored by the politicians to give the money. But God called him a fool. A fool. You say, what do you mean a fool? The Bible's use of this word fool is not an absurdity. A fool in the Bible is one who reasons... ...without godly counsel. In fact, Isaiah, God said, come, let us reason together, saith the Lord. However, according to verse 17, 18, it said he reasoned with himself. For it says he thought within himself and said, this will I do. In Proverbs, we say the way of a fool is right in his own eyes. But he that hearkeneth unto counsel is wise. The evidence and consequence of such a philosophy is revealed in this parable that Jesus is delivering to the, uh, to the disciples. Now let me show you why he warns us about this foolish and false conception. This man had a foolish understanding of what life was all about. To him, life was simply a period of time to make a lot of money, accumulate a lot of wealth, a lot of earthly treasures and have a good time and then just sort of say to your soul, soul, thou hast much goods. Now let's just eat, drink, and be merry before death takes us out. You know that's more common than you have any idea. It's amazing how we measure success in our society. It all depends what kind of a home you have, what kind of an automobile you drive how you've climbed the ladder of success and all the possessions. This life is for none of that. This life is a dressing room. This life is a probationary time. This is the time here to prepare for the hereafter. Man was made for two worlds and for man to live for only one world at a time will prove himself to be a failure in both worlds. This is the time We're to clothe our spiritual nakedness and prepare ourselves for encountering the true and the living God. This is the time. This is the time. We cannot satisfy the soul's hunger on the husks of material possessions. I wish I remembered who it was. I think it was Augustine who made the statement that God never made a soul so small that this world could satisfy it. I found that to be true. I was uh, reading C.S. Lewis, the life of C.S. Lewis, the great apologist. I think 30 or 31 years, he was an atheist, and he defied God every step of the way. In fact, uh, he never was graduated from a tutor in his Oxford University because when he turned to God, they turned away from him. But he said it didn't bother him because he wanted to work with the lower class. Anyhow, they were more receptive to what he had to say. When you read anything of C.S. Lewis, he became one of the greatest apologists of the Christian faith probably that ever lived. But he said as he was struggling in himself after 31 years, he said, everything I sought and all that I did, no matter all the success I had, he said, I felt empty. He said, I found nothing in this world that could satisfy me. He said, I finally came to grips with the reality if nothing in this world satisfies me, I must be made for another world. And he began to pursue his God. And he said he'd always beheld the heavens and the beauty of creation. He said, I see it. He said, I, he read the scriptures even before he come to know God, the heavens declare the glory of God. Firmament showeth their handiwork. Day unto day of their speech. Night unto night showeth knowledge. There's no speech nor language where his voice is not heard. And he said all the time God was talking to me even through creation itself. By the way, folks, none of us We'll ever be able to plead ignorance when we stand before God. The very heavens click off the grace of God. If you never darken a church door, if you never read your Bible, he is the light that lighteth every man that comes into the world. And so C.S. Lewis, an atheist, was a testimony to that fact. And finally he said, I got on my face one, guy, one time and began to cry out to God. And he said, you know what I discovered? He said, I discovered you can know more about a man talking to him than just looking at the house that he built. (laughs) The creation spoke, but not like God spoke. Man is built for God and eternity. In fact, you can take this entire world and drop it into the man's soul and it'll pale away into mere insignificance because man's bigger than all of creation. He's God's great creation, made in the image of God himself. He's the crown of it all, and he's made us for two worlds. If man surrenders his faith, may I say to you tonight, if you surrender your faith, which I don't think you will, but I'm just warning you if you do, you surrender the very significance of your own existence. Recently in my study, I've been... uh, Measuring the seen with the unseen. I'm trying not to divert my attention tonight. But I want to tell you something. If all you have is wrapped up in what is visible, you fail to realize what's visible is visible and real only because of what is not visible. In fact, the visible is because of the invisible. A house before it's ever built is invisible in the mind and then it's on a blueprint before it ever becomes a visible structure. Any artist knows that you have to have the picture in your mind before it becomes visible on the canvas. I just threw that in. <laughs> Lord Byron, writing in his diary, he lives solely in the economy Of his passions. In his diary, he writes on his 33rd birthday listen to it, I go to bed with a heaviness of heart at having lived so long with so little purpose. He died at the age of 35. Isn't that a sad commentary of a life? This man had a foolish understanding of life. He had a faulty concept of ownership. The personal pronoun, I and my, are used repeatedly. In fact, let me read it for you so you can hear it. In verse 17, he says, he thought within himself. There he is. He counseled within himself. He wasn't going to talk to God. What shall I do? Because I have no room where to bestow my fruits. He said, this will I do. I will pull down my barns. I will build greater. And there I will bestow all my goods and my, all my fruits and my goods. And I will say to my soul. <laughs> you know, bad habits are very hard to break. It's harder to break a bad habit than it is to start a good habit. I took almost, I think maybe three years of typing. I know the letters, ASDF. I know all the letters. I never could just put my hand on there and look over here and, and do that. I still watch them every time, make sure it's exactly what I'm putting on there. That was my problem. I didn't learn the, in the beginning. But I discovered something when typewriters were the rage. I, I couldn't believe when computers, I, I, I almost thought maybe I had to put white out on the screen. I didn't know. When computers came, I couldn't believe you just back that thing up, it'd go, and you just put another. It, it was the most blessed experience I ever had. But I discovered something about typewriters. They tell me the first letter to wear out on a typewriter back when they were the in thing was the letter I. And they said it wasn't because we used that letter more than any other letter, but when we used it, we struck it harder than any other letter. I. This man is striking that personal pronoun I very hard, isn't he? The Bible teaches you and me that we are stewards of whatever we have, we're not possessors. Jesus warns us that a fool is, is one who refuses to lay up treasures in heaven, but rather lays up treasures for himself, and he is not rich toward God. That is a fool. Consequently, uh, when I think of that, I, I remember a good friend of mine who had a lady come to the altar. She was a very wealthy lady, and she was wearing a... Uh, A fur. I don't know what kind it was. I'm not into furs. (laughs) But she was struggling about having to yield everything to God. And she'd been there a couple times. And she was there seeking and she had this fur coat or stole one. And she was talking about it. She was stroking that stole. And she said, I don't know if I can give it all to God. He said, man, lady, don't you understand that thing you got around your neck is the used garment He said a possum had that thing going before you ever got it. (laughs) I I don't have that kind of nerve. (laughs) But she finally got through, by the way. I think this man failed to realize that the grain, the silver, the gold, everything he was enjoying came from the ground. The house, the new barns that he built came from trees that came from the ground. The woolen garments came from the animals of the sheep and the goats. The leather, the the shoes, the belt came from the horses and the cows. His very food, his fish, his vegetables, whatever he ate, his vegetation, everything. In fact, James says, every good gift, every perfect gift is from above and cometh down from the Father of lights. Did it ever dawn on you that the devil has not one thing to offer you? He takes God's good gifts and offers them to you and he has no right to do it and he offers them perverted to you. Every good and perfect gift comes from God. He lived so selfishly. He never considered the poor or the hungry or the weak or the naked or the fatherless or the widows. His life was just a cistern. We're to be channels out from which God can work and flow through us to the world around us. Not reservoirs out of your inmost being shall flow rivers of living water. Consequently, Emerson said, The health of a man is a balance between his gathering and his giving. Any hoarding results in disease. There's a program on television I discovered some time ago, something about hoarding, the hoarders or something. Boy, it is a disease, isn't it? Do you see some of that mess? No, you don't watch what I watch, okay. (laughs) Anyhow, giving, not always gathering. This man thought nothing of giving, only gathering. Uh, He was a miserly man. He was a greedy man. By the way, one day, if we live our lives to ourselves, we will be forced to give up all of our goods. And when that happens, we'll be gathered up by the grim reaper and he will usher us out into eternity. And when such a person like that dies, can I tell you he's left nothing behind but a tombstone that has marked his remains and maybe a write-up in the obituary to let people know he passed this way one day. Consequently, his life has never lightened the pathway of anyone. He never was an encouragement. He was not a radiant sight for them to behold. He never warmed or cheered the heart of anyone who was going through some hard time by his friendship, by his love. He's now never lifted and encouraged anyone. He also had a flawed estimation of time. So, thou hast much goods laid up for many years. By the way, the operative phrase, many years. But God turned and said, This night, many years? He just had a few hours. There's two facts I discovered about death number 1 it's certain to come it's coming i see it every day i'm made more aware of it every day samuel said for we must needs die the writer of the hebrew letter says it's appointed that the man once to die we're dying the other thing i know it's not only certain to come it's uncertain when it's going to occur How many funerals do you attend? Wife and I were talking about it today. We talk about some morbid things from time to time. But I said, it's amazing. You reach the age of which we have finally found ourselves. It's amazing how we just go and look at them. They're gone. And many of them are much younger than even we are. And for some reason, for some reason, if we're not careful, the enemy deceives us. By making us think, yeah, I know, it happened to them. We try to justify why it all happened, but it's not going to happen to me for quite a while. Be careful. It's appointed unto man, wants to die. This man finally exposed his fool's confidence. He said he had a fearful covetousness. I'm just trying to show you what Jesus is teaching these disciples, and he's talking to the world. By the way... Can I say to you, on the benefit of those of us who are in revival, not only this revival, anyone you go to in the services when your pastor is preaching to you, whatever takes place, when you come and sit in the house of God, I want to say something that I hope will be meaningful. Do you remember that Paul writing to the Thessalonians, he said, "One, uh, I'm praying night and day exceedingly that I might see your face. And by the way, he's talking to those who walked with God, who had received Christ, who had uh, turned from idols to serve the true and the living God, and their faith had been heard of throughout all Macedonia and Achaia. They were godly men and women. But he said, I'm praying night and day for you that I might see your face and perfect that which is lacking in your faith it wasn't something that was lost it was something that they lacked and of course he led them on into the experience of entire sanctification you can read it God's not called us unto and us but unto the holiness of the very God of peace sanctify you holy and he said when you read this read it to all the holy brethren in other words who needs to hear about being sanctified holy it's the holy brethren that needs to hear about it do you know what struck me Sometimes, I think, as we sit and listen to the gospel preached, and I'm with you, I'm, I'm, I'm just a mouthpiece for Jesus, I hope. He sure puts me through the rigors, so I'm just trying to give it back to you a little bit. <laughs> it is not an indictment against your walk with Jesus to recognize a spiritual deficit in your life. And when the preached word goes across the congregation, He's there to uncover these deficits as Paul was. And he said, I'm praying all the time that this thing that is lacking would be fulfilled. And so when you find this lack, don't stand back. That's the dangerous thing to do. Don't say when I go home, I'll pray about this matter. No, when the waters are troubled, he expects you to walk in the light of it. Amen. And so oftentimes we have an older old, Well, if I go to that older, man, they're going to think I'm a backslider and I can't see. No. It is the highest sense of integrity in your spiritual walk when God has shown you new light to get up out of your pew and let three worlds know, hell beneath, this world in which you're in, and all the holy angels above, I'm going through with Jesus. And seek the fulfillment of the deficit. Now you took me completely off of my train of thought. Jesus was warning them about a fearful covetousness that produces a false conception. And by the way, when I said to you, you're stewards, you're not possessors. Everything you have, somebody else will have some one of these days. I don't know whether to tell that story or not. You heard about the man, and his wife, and she was worried she's going to pass away before him and that he was going to find another wife. So I'm afraid... You're going to let her have my automobile. No. You're going to let her wear my clothes. No. You're going to give her my golf clubs. No, she's right-handed. No, I, I, I shouldn't say said that. <laughs> that I should not have said, but I did. You'll pray for me. Just let me say... He is simply saying there's a fearful covetousness that produces a false conception, but he brings together this fool's confidence when he said, soul, take thine ease. He was blinded by the overflowing barns that he had. I have all my barns filled. I'll rip them down. I'll build bigger barns. He was inspired by his fortune in goods, but he was soon to discover that you do not grow Or live by what grows from the ground. You live by the grace of God. As we were singing that song, I forget the words now, Amy, forgive me, but I give it all to you. And I mentioned what I did earlier, you know, he owns it all anyhow. All of us have sinned and come short of the glory of God. That means all of us have been guilty of sin. That guilt separated us from his glory. And there is absolutely no way back. Except that God came and through Jesus bridged our guilt and God's glory with his grace. By the way, that was in the song, if you didn't notice it. I may not sing, but I can read words. (laughs) The grace. This man was... Enamored with what grew from the ground, but not the grace of God. What he needed was not new barns. He needed the new birth. And the ground that brought forth his harvest of wealth could not save him from the harvest of woe. The toil of his hands could not save him from the terror of hell. That's what Jesus is saying. Too many today do not enjoy the rest of faith. They put their confidence in their retirement and 401k, what's left of it, social security, in their possessions, in their jobs. That's the rest of a fool, folks. Not the rest of faith. God wants us to have the rest of faith. And this night, he said, thy soul shall be required of thee. Then who shall those things be? thou hast provided can I just tag on here real quickly in closing he too late this man too late like many of us if we're not careful like many in this world too late saw the worthlessness of the things of time that he put such a premium on and used so selfishly in the light of his eternal lostness he too late knew that he had settled his destiny forever. There was a man in our town, Courtney Williams. I loved to listen to his ghost stories. He just lived across the alley when, where we lived. And he, uh, when he was sober, he was a wonderful man. And that's the way with most of them, by the way. But I remember going over and visiting them. His wife's name was Lannis, wonderful lady. Lived with him, loved him in spite of all of that. But I remember when I would go into their house, long before I ever met Jesus, long before I ever knew anything about God, I would walk in their front door and right on the back of the wall, I may have shared it with you because I have that plaque in my own home. There was the words "Only one life will soon be passed only what's done for Christ will last." If I'm not saying anything that's registering, let me just say this: you and I are only going through this world one time. When I get to the end of this life, I better know it's well with my soul. If I get out here like this rich man did and discover that it's not well, with my soul, I'm not coming back to get another run at this thing, and neither are you. And this man came to the end too late, he had settled his destiny forever. By the way, if it is the same man recorded in Luke 16, Dives, I will tell you he is now suffering and has ever since unending torment, he is suffering unquenchable thirst, he is suffering unwanted memory. And he is suffering unanswered prayer. For he said, my five brothers need to be warned. Send someone from the grave to warn them. Oh, I t- still believe there's a hell. But I didn't believe that. I'd, I'd never, I'd, I told my wife, if I ever get out of evangelism, I probably won't drive any further than Marysville or Springfield. I'd never pack my suitcase again. There's not another job in this world could pay me enough to travel the thousands of miles I've traveled but this. And if I didn't believe, it was not only to save them for heaven, but save them from hell. And by the way, they are the two forces, folks. Hell is pushing us and heaven is drawing us. If I didn't believe in it, I'd go home, unpack my suitcase, never leave. My concern is, do we really believe it anymore? I was with the great Norman Wilson, the Westling Radio Hour preacher, held several meetings with him, and he looked at me one day and he said, Nelson, nobody's lost anymore. You can take one of the most perverted movie stars and all of a sudden they just went to heaven. Everybody goes to heaven. They're up there playing cards with Jesus. No, they're not. Not by any stretch of the imagination. He thought more of himself than others. This man thought more of his body than he did of his soul. He thought more about time than he did of eternity. Any man's life will be one of monumental folly if he leaves God out of his plans. He who has a wrong sense of ownership forgets his soul to save and neglects the preparation for eternity. Unless one is rich toward God, you will meet death in the dark and the day will end and eternal light will begin. You remember what it was said about Judas that betrayed Jesus that night? He went out. And it was night, dark. Turn while they have the day. The night comes, no man shall turn. I don't always find it easy to share things like this in these days because we've almost gotten to the place we just sort of poo-poo it. (laughs) We've allowed our little irrational, I call it not rational, but we rationalize truth away. That's an irrational thing to do, by the way. And we, we just sort of assume, you know, well, that's the way I think. I, you know, everybody has their own belief. They can believe what they want. This is the way I believe. That's why I mentioned to you last evening, be very, very careful what you say you don't feel any conviction for because it may be your fault that you're not feeling conviction. The Pope, bless his heart if you he can, the Pope made the statement we ought to live out of our conscience, not out of the principles of God. Where's he coming from? Your conscience is probably seared or calloused. That's not a good good place to live. God's greater than your conscience. Well, my conscience doesn't bother me. Well, that's shame on you. Mine does. By the way, if you need and know you're not where you ought to be. You don't have to feel anything. Most of us had enough preaching to save the world, and we've almost become done to it. I'm just being honest. We're almost so, yeah, I've heard it all. I've heard it all. I've heard all kinds of preachers, better than you, Purdue. Well, I, I understand that. But knowledge alone is conviction. God does not have to take you down roads you one-time travel. You already know. The rich man. Lift up his eyes in torment. I don't want that to happen to you. I risk your liking me. I always thought maybe everybody would like me. And, and I was going to take a vote and see how many of you did. And I thought maybe that wouldn't be good. But I want to ask you. Are you ready to meet Jesus? You know, I've asked uh, Amy if she'd just come and play again, and I want her to play uh, near to God. Draw me nearer, nearer, nearer. Now, I want to say, just before she plays softly, please understand, I'm probably preaching to wonderful Christians almost exclusively. I mean, I, I have no agenda think that I'm trying to unchristianize you and you're all a bunch of scoundrels or back I don't, I don't want you to think that what I'm trying to do and I hope tying in with what our pastor does every service is to show you some weaknesses or some lack in your faith and if you come become aware of it we shouldn't have to sing half a dozen verses we should just stand right up and say yeah I, I have a lack I'm going to take care of that it's your business between you and God nobody else You say, I'd like to pray tonight. I have some things that God's been speaking to me about. That's why we have revival. You know, I only get to be here with you a couple more days, and then you're going to kick me out of here, and I I realize that. I want to do my best, and if we don't obey God right, right off the bat, we'll get through this thing and nothing will happen. So I want you to stand with me, and we're going to bow our heads in prayer, and I'm going to ask Amy, just play softly, Amy. Father, we have no agenda but your word as we sat in our own study and sought your face and prayed and studied your word you and moved upon us to talk to them about this parable if we read the rest of the next 20 verses or so we not only see the ugliness of the foolish farmer We see the tenderness of your love for the fearless flock. Fear not, little flock. And we believe these are your flock. And you're trying to caution them as you were the disciples. And they responded. He knows what we have need of him before we ask. And Lord, if there's those tonight who you've sort of put a finger on a deficit in their walk with Jesus, if they would just come and kneel before the altar as she plays softly we'll have a closing prayer and then when we leave knowing that we've obeyed God as she's playing you say I have a need I want to bring it to Jesus tonight I want you to step out real quickly we're not going to hold you I'm not going to linger long I just want you to obey God and those who are coming there may be a friend or a family like to just come and support them in the prayer just come and kneel beside them or with them in support of them and if the altar not enough we can go to the front pew just just us I'd like to ask some of our Christians brothers just, just come up and as I say, be be supportive of these who are seeking God. Would you just, some of you, So I like to, I want to be there. Just us and I'm glad when I first came they prayed with me more than I know. Now would you bow your heads with me and your heart and I want you who are praying just to seek God he has a listening ear he knows what you have need of and I can tell you he is leaning heavily to just hear your cry to meet your need father we cannot tell you enough or as well as we'd like how much the gift of your son has meant to our own life how you have spoken to us across the years you've awakened us you've stirred us you've warned us you've cautioned us and Lord I mentioned already that you don't flatter us when we read your word it's a mirror that shows us who we really are and sometimes if we're not careful we sort of excuse ourselves and maybe see ourselves in a better place than we are, but you don't do that. You'll show us exactly who we are, what we need. But you never show us what we need, but what you have, the power to enable us to live the way you've called us to live. We know we can't live it in ourselves. It's not by might nor power. It's not by human effort, lest any man should boast. But by the grace of God, it's the spirit of a living God that comes to live in us. And our outliving becomes true because of your indwelling. We're willing, Lord, to give back stolen property. If there's anything we have laid claim on, we realize we own nothing. You own it all. So we're just bringing it back and giving it to you. We've been bought with a price. We give it all to you. And Lord, we will do so in a constancy as well as a cleansing. Nothing in our hands we bring. Simply to the cross we cling. And so we come with our palms down today. Take our life. Let it be. Ever only all for Thee. And Lord, even though oftentimes we pray, Jesus, use us. Tonight we pray, Lord. Make us usable. Do what you need to do to make us vessels that are honorable vessels, sanctified, profitable for the master's use to be used. Do it for our sake, certainly but for our family's sakes, our friends' sakes, where we work, where we shop, wherever we go. Lord, help us not to be as this rich man who lived only and always within himself. We want you to work in us in order to work through us. We don't want to be a reservoir where we store it all up, but you said out of your inmost being, out of your bellies, will flow rivers of living water. This spoke he of the Spirit, which they that believe received. And it's out from us the Spirit speaks and woos and draws others to the foot of the cross. Thank you, Lord, for lacking, for the lack we have that you can fulfill it. And Lord, we thank you for your wonderful presence. But even more than that, Lord, we're thankful these have come to hear you. They've not come to hear, man. We've been listening to you, Jesus, and you've been speaking, and we heard you and we're walking in your light. As we leave, Lord, may we go with a confidence, a confidence not in ourselves, but with confidence through the merits of your blood that we can live victorious amidst all of our flaws, all of our failures, all of our mistakes that the devil likes to uh, measure. You understand our infirmities. You know our weaknesses. You know our faults and failures, but oh, you love us. And you're going to see us through as we just walk in the light, moment by moment. And for all that, even now and forevermore, we give you praise. In Jesus' name, and all God's people, said amen. Amen. And if you want to pray longer, we're not on a time schedule here. I just want to make sure. Before you leave, I wonder if uh, those of you who remember Jim Crabtree used to come here, and I worked a lot of camps with him. He used to say, we've sort of reached the point where we need to double our efforts. (laughs) I only have two more services, and I'm going to challenge you. How many will say, I'm going to pray a little more tomorrow than I did today? How many will raise your hand if I raise my hand? I believe God will bless us, don't you? Pastor, you have any closing words?
1: Okay, Juanita
0: Smitley's at the emergency room. Remember her in prayer. God bless you. You're dismissed.